Hello, everyone, and welcome to the roadmap from Auto Finance News since 1996, the nation's leading newsletter on automotive lending and leasing. It's Monday, June 26th, and I'm Joey Pizzolatto, joined by Amanda Harris, Riley Wolfbauer, and Johnny Martinez. This is our weekly wrap on what happened in auto finance for the week ending June 23rd, 2023. In automotive news, Ashton Martin and Lucid Group have entered an EV supply pack backed by Saudi Arabia's Sovereign Wealth Fund. In the deal, Aston Martin will pay $232 million in shares in cash to Lucid in exchange for battery electric powertrain components, an announcement that set Aston, Mar- Aston Martin and Lucid shares soaring as much as 15% earlier today. So we also brought a look at how auto lending trends are playing out. We all know that vehicle sticker prices have been reaching record levels, and along with high prices, auto loan balances have grown but that growth seems to be tapering off. In Q1, the average amount financed for new vehicle purchases totaled about $40,800 in the first quarter, up 3.1% year over year. This is compared to 12% year over year growth rate in Q1 2022. Monthly loan payments on new cars are still over $700, prompting some prime consumers to opt for shorter term loans or to pay in cash to offset the costs associated with elevated interest rates. For used cars, Consumers financed just over $26,400 on average on average in Q1, down 5%, 5.7% year-over-year. Inventory is also improving, with new vehicle supply reaching a two-year high at the end of May, driven by increased production and slower sales during the month. The U.S. supply of unsold new vehicles came in at 1.96 million units at the end of May, up 3.2% month-over-month and 73% year-over-year. Day supply ticked up one day sequentially to 55 days at the end of May, an increase of 46% year-over-year, and tracking closer to historical norms of 60 days supply. Supply of used cars, however, fell 11% year-over-year in May, with the number of unsold units sitting at 2.19 million units, up 3.8% sequentially. Supply came in at 47 days, down 4% year-over-year, but up one day month-over-month. With slower new car sales, there aren't as many trade-in vehicles coming to the used market, contributing to the decline. Leasing also has been slow to return to normal, keeping the volume of off-lease vehicles limited and further hampering used car supply. Switching gears here, we also have multiple updates on how credit performance is, well, performing. Amanda Harris has the details. Sure, yes. So he said for credit performance. So nothing really too surprising here, but there's a couple of caveats that I will go through. So we have an update for delinquency and loss levels. So no surprise, they are going up. Um, that's, you know, pretty typical for this time of year. You know, people already use their tax refunds to pay off what debt they were going to pay off to kind of get more current. Now we're getting into the months where they no longer have those to rely on. So Along with seasonality, we are starting to see delinquencies go up. So in Q1, 30-day delinquencies tallied about 2.23%, which is up 40 basis points year over year. 
still below uh, where it was in 2020, so we're not quite at the pandemic level. But later data delinquency, so 60 plus days delinquent, was at 0.88% in Q1, which is up 19 base points year over year, and it actually surpassed Q1 2020's level of 0.82%. So when you look at the later delinquencies, they are starting to surpass that pre-COVID level, likely driven a lot by the you know subprime rates there. But we're definitely seeing that kind of be a little bit of a concern. Nothing, nothing too red flag yet. This is pretty typical. Lenders prepared for this. They know that delinquencies and losses are going to go up. Obviously, you know, we have been propped up for the couple of years during the pandemic and now starting to see a more normal situation where people don't have, you know, a lot of stimulus and all helping them. So everyone kind of knew this was coming. And like I said, with seasonality, definitely understood that this was going to happen toward this time of year. And they will likely remain elevated for much of the rest of the year. There's a couple of things driving that. Uh, one, inflationary pressures. So we know, you know, rising rates, costs of everything is going up and, you know, everything is still very elevated. So that is going to cause people to potentially be late on their payments. We aren't really seeing people not make payments. People are still making payments because they want to stay in their auto loan because nobody wants to refinance right now or have to get a new auto loan at the current rates. So if you were able to get a decent rate, you're obviously very incentivized to keep paying your auto loan. Auto loan's already at the top, one of the top priorities for payments anyway, and then with that on top of it. But we are seeing people be late maybe a month or so, but not really rolling into that 60 days and into defaults just yet. But we'll have to see because there is, you know, student loan payments might resume, and then there are other pressures that are going to play out. We also haven't yet really seen the impact of these really high interest rates yet. It takes about a year for it to really start impacting job levels, the unemployment rate, and all of that. So if that if job levels go down, employment rate goes up, we could definitely see delinquencies not skyrocket, nothing like that, but definitely go up higher than they are. And then we also know that, you know, again, inflationary pressures are, are, are continuing to play out. So people right now are, are trying to stay on top of their auto loans, but they might become a point where they just can't. And delinquencies and stuff will start surpassing pre-pandemic levels and be way more of a concern. So that's what everyone's just monitoring right now. Right. And we do have Q2 earnings coming in about three weeks from, well, yeah, three weeks from today. So we'll see how portfolios are performing. We did get a preview um, of second quarter earnings. Uh, CarMax reported on Friday. Riley, what's going on there? Yeah, CarMax Auto Finance increased its provisions for credit losses 40% year over year to $90 million in its uh, fiscal year 2024 first quarter due to quote-unquote unfavorable performance within, within its existing portfolio as well as the uncertain macroeconomic environment. Along with increasing its provision for credit losses, they also increased their allowance for credit losses to a coverage ratio of 3.11%, totaling $535 million. That's up from a coverage ratio of 3.02% um, in their Q4 fiscal year 2023. Uh, CarMax Auto Finance's origination volume fell 4% year over year to $2.3 billion due to softer used retail sales, but outstandings grew 6% to $16.7 billion. Used retail sales declined 10% year over year to about 218,000 units, 
and wholesale vehicle sales were down 14% year over year to about 160,000 units. Uh, the lender made credit tightening actions in their previous quarter, but even amid the tightening, CarMax's multi-lender credit platform approved about 90% or 95% of credit applications in the first quarter. Uh, during the quarter, CarMax also committed further to its use of artificial intelligence by bolster, bolstering the functions of its 24-7 virtual assistant chatbot, which is named Sky. CarMax expanded Sky's capabilities by adding workflows related to finance applications, vehicle transfers, and appointment reservations. And adding these functions led to lower costs per transaction for them. Great. Turning to power sports, sounds like incentives are picking up, especially in the RV world. Johnny Martinez, what's going on there? Yeah, and, and you hit it on the head there. As incentives are picking up in the RV. Winnebago's earnings came out last week. Uh, they reported incentives up 73% year over year. And again, it's this big push we talked about earlier in the month when Thor's earnings came out and their incentives were over 20% that there's this push to get out of these older model year units, right? These model year 22s that got stuck during the pandemic as supply chain normalized, they got into dealer inventory, but they weren't moving as fast. The market had kind of normalized in terms of what consumers were wanting to buy. And so you have this inventory that's kind of stuck. You have 23s that have come onto the lots starting to prepare for these model year 24s to hit the lots and so it's trying to get this inventory to move and so Winnebago came out with even more aggressive incentives again 73 percent year over year just trying to get these model years 22s out so these model use 24s when they start hitting the market they're able to come in and be an actual new new vehicle you don't have a bunch of things that are considered new that are three different model years right so we're again just trying to get that balance back out. And that fits with what we're hearing on the shipment side with North American RV shipments being down 45% year over year. Again, it's just wanting to get this inventory normalized so that you know it, it's all in a place where you've got your new vehicles. You're going to have some new 22 still left, some 23 still left. But mostly if you're talking new RVs, these OEMs are trying to get it to be where it's primarily the 24s and then everything else is just Let's get the inventory moved. Let's get it back into the auction. And that's, you know, going into that why auction uh, flow is so high. The the auction volume that we've seen has also gone up in both the motorized RV and the towable side. Great. Thanks, Johnny. That about does it for today's episode. Thanks for joining us on the roadmap and be sure to follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. We will see you online at autofinancenews.net and here next time.